Chapter forty two of Marguerite de Valois by Alexandre Dumas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Chapter forty two Confidences. The first thing the Duc d'Anjou heard on arriving at the Louvre was that the formal reception of the ambassadors was arranged for the fifth day from that. The tailors and the jewellers were waiting for the prince with magnificent clothes and superb jewels which the king had ordered for him. While the duke tried them on with an anger which brought the tears to his eyes, Henry of Navarre was very gay in a magnificent collar of emeralds, a sword with a golden handle, and a precious ring which Charles had sent him that morning. D'Alencon had just received the letter and had shut himself up in his own room to read it. As to Coquenard, he was searching every corner of the Louvre for his friend. In fact, as may easily be imagined, he had been somewhat surprised at not seeing La Mole return that night, and by morning had begun to feel some anxiety. Consequently, he had started out to find his friend. He began his search at the Hotel de la Belle Etoile, went from there to the Rue Cloche-Percée, from the Rue Cloche-Percée to the Rue Tison, from there to the Pont Saint-Michel, and finally from the Pont Saint-Michel to the Louvre. This search, so far as those who had been questioned were concerned, had been carried on in a way so original and exacting, which may easily be believed when one realizes the eccentric character of Coquenard, that it had caused some explanations between him and three courtiers. These explanations had ended, as was the fashion of the times, on the ground. In these encounters, Coquenard had been as conscientious as he usually was in affairs of that kind, and had killed the first man and wounded the two others, saying, Poor La Mole! He knew Latin so well! The last victim, who was the Baron de Boissy, said as he fell, Oh, for the love of heaven, Coquenard, do vary a little, and at least say that he knew Greek. At last the report of the adventure in the corridor leaked out. Coquenard was heartbroken over it. For an instant he thought that all these kings and princes had killed his friend and thrown him into some dungeon. He learned that d'Alencon had been of the party, and overlooking the majesty which surrounded a prince of the blood, he went to him and demanded an explanation, as he would have done of a simple gentleman. At first d'Alencon was inclined to thrust out of the door the impertinent fellow who came and asked for an account of his actions. But Coquenard spoke so curtly, his eyes flashed with such brightness, and the affair of the three duels in less than twenty-four hours had raised the Piedmontese so high that d'Alencon reflected, and instead of yielding to his first inclination, he answered the gentleman with a charming smile. My dear Coquenard, it is true that the king was furious at receiving a silver bowl on his shoulder, that the Duc d'Anjou was vexed at being hit on the head by some orange marmalade, and the Duc de Guise humiliated at having the breath knocked out of him by a haunch of venison, and so they were all determined to kill Monsieur de la Mole. But a friend of your friends turned aside the blow. The party therefore failed in their attempt. I give you my word as prince." "'Ah!' said Coquenard, breathing as hard as a pair of bellows. "'By heaven, Monseigneur, this is good news. I should like to know this friend to show him my gratitude.' Monsieur d'Alencon made no reply, but smiled more pleasantly than he had yet done, implying to Coquenard that this friend was none other than the prince himself. "'Well, Monseigneur,' said Coquenard, since you have gone so far as to tell me the beginning of the story, crown your kindness by finishing it. They tried to kill him, but failed, you say? Well, what happened then? I am brave and can bear the news. Have they thrown him into some dungeon? 
so much the better it will make him more careful in future he would never listen to my advice besides we can get him out by heaven stone does not baffle everyone d'alencon shook his head the worst of all this my brave coquinard said he is that your friend disappeared after the affair and no one knows where he went by heaven cried the piedmontese again growing pale had he gone to hell i should at least have known where he is listen said d'alencon who although for different reasons was as anxious as coquinard to know la mole's whereabouts i will give you the advice of a friend give it my lord said coquinard eagerly go to queen marguerite she must know what has become of your friend you mourn i will confess to your highness said coquinard that i had thought of going to her but i scarcely dared madame marguerite has a way of making me feel somewhat uncomfortable at times and besides this i feared that i might find her in tears but since your highness assures me that la mole is not dead and that her majesty knows where he is i will take heart and go to her do so my friend said francois and when you find out where la mole is let me know for really i am as anxious as you are but remember one thing coquinard what do not say you have come at my suggestion for if you do you will learn nothing monseigneur said coquinard since your highness recommends secrecy on this point i shall be as silent as a tench or as the queen mother what a kind good generous prince he is murmured coquinard as he set out to find the queen of navarre marguerite was expecting coquinard for the report of his despair had reached her and on hearing by what exploits his grief had showed itself she almost forgave him for his somewhat rude treatment of her friend madame la duchesse de nevers to whom he had not spoken for two or three days owing to some misunderstanding between them therefore as soon as he was announced to the queen he was admitted coquinard entered the room unable to overcome the constraint which he had mentioned to d'alencon and which he had always felt in the presence of the queen it was caused more by her superior intellect than by her rank but marguerite received him with a smile which at once put him at his ease ah madame said he give me back my friend i beg you or at least tell me what has become of him for without him i cannot live imagine eurylus without nisus demon without pythias or orestes without palades and pity my grief for the sake of one of the heroes i have just mentioned whose heart i swear was no more tender than mine marguerite smiled and having made coquinard promise not to reveal the secret she told him of la mole's escape from the window as to his hiding place insistent as were the prayers of the piedmontese she preserved the strictest silence this only half satisfied coquinard so he resorted to diplomatic speeches of the highest order the result was that marguerite saw clearly that the duc d'alencon was partly the case of the courtier's great desire to know what had become of la mole well said the queen if you must know something definite about your friend ask king henry of navarre he alone has the right to speak as to me all i can tell you is that the friend for whom you are searching is alive and you may believe what i say i believe one thing still more madame replied coquinard that is that your beautiful eyes have not wept thereupon thinking that there was nothing to add to a remark which had the double advantage of expressing his thought as well as the high opinion he had of la mole coquinard withdrew pondering on a reconciliation with madame de nevers not on her account 
but in order that he might find out from her what he had been unable to learn from Marguerite. Deep griefs are abnormal conditions in which the mind shakes off the yoke as soon as possible. The thought of leaving Marguerite had at first broken La Mole's heart, and it was in order to save the reputation of the queen rather than to preserve his own life that he had consented to run away. Therefore, the following evening he returned to Paris to see Marguerite from her balcony. As if instinct told her of the young man's plan, the queen spent the whole evening at her window. The result was that the lovers met again with the indescribable delight which accompanies forbidden pleasures. More than this, the melancholy and romantic temperament of La Mole found a certain charm in the situation. But a man really in love is happy only for the time being, while he sees or is with the woman he loves. After he has left her, he suffers. Anxious to see Marguerite again, La Mole set himself busily to work to bring about the event which would make it possible for him to be with her, namely, the flight of the King of Navarre. Marguerite, on her part, willingly gave herself up to the happiness of being loved with so pure a devotion. Often she was angry with herself for what she regarded as a weakness. Her strong mind despised the poverty of ordinary love, insensible to the details which for tender souls make it the sweetest, the most delicate, and the most desirable of all pleasures. So she felt that the days, if not happily filled, were at least happily ended. When, at about nine o'clock every evening, she stepped out on her balcony in a white dressing-gown, she perceived in the darkness of the quay a horseman whose hand was raised first to his lips, then to his heart. Then a significant cough reminded the lover of a cherished voice. Sometimes a note was thrown by a little hand, and in the note was hidden some costly jewel, precious not on account of its value, but because it had belonged to her who threw it, and this would fall on the pavement a few feet from the young man. Then La Mole would swoop down on it like a kite, press it to his heart, answer in the same voice, while Marguerite stood at her balcony until the sound of the horse's hoofs had died away in the darkness. The steed, ridden at full speed when coming, on leaving seemed as if made of material as lifeless as that of the famous horse which lost Troy. This was why the queen was not anxious as to the fate of La Mole. But fearing that he might be watched and followed, she persistently refused all interviews except those clandestined ones, which began immediately after La Mole's flight and continued every evening until the time set for the formal reception of the ambassadors, a reception which by the express orders of Ambois Paré, as we have seen, was postponed for several days. The evening before this reception, at about nine o'clock, when everyone in the Louvre was engaged in preparations for the following day, Marguerite opened her window and stepped out upon her balcony. As she did so, without waiting for her note, La Mole, in greater haste than usual, threw his note, which, with his usual skill, fell at the feet of his royal mistress. Marguerite realized that the missive contained something special, and retired from the balcony to read it. The note consisted of two separate sheets. On the first page were these words, "'Madame, I must speak to the King of Nevada. The matter is urgent. I will wait.' On the second page were these words, My lady and my queen, arrange so that I may give you one of the kisses I now send you. I will wait. Marguerite had scarcely finished the second part of the letter when she heard the voice of Henry of Nevada, who with his usual caution had knocked on the outer door and was asking Guillaume if he might enter. The queen at once separated the letter, put one of the sheets in her robe, the other in her pocket, hurriedly closed the window and stepped to the door. "'Enter, sire,' said she. Notwithstanding the fact that Marguerite had been careful to close the window quickly and gently, 
the sound had reached Henry, whose acute senses in the midst of people he greatly mistrusted had almost acquired the exquisite delicacy they attain in the savage. But the king of Nevada was not one of those tyrants who forbid their wives from taking the air and watching the stars. Henry was as gracious and smiling as ever. Madame, said he, while everyone is rehearsing the coming ceremonial, I thought I would come and have a little talk with you about my affairs, which you still regard as yours, do you not? Certainly, monsieur, replied Marguerite. Are not our interests one and the same? Yes, madame, and that is why I wanted to ask what you thought about monsieur le duc d'Alençon's avoiding me so for the last few days. The day before yesterday he even went to Saint-Germain. Does it not mean either that he is planning to leave by himself, for he is watched very little, or that he is not going to leave at all? Give me your opinion, madame, if you please. I confess, it will be a great relief to me to tell you mine. Your majesty is right in being anxious at my brother's silence. I have been thinking about it all day, and my idea is that as circumstances have changed, he has changed with them. You mean, do you not, that seeing King Charles ill and the Duc d'Anjou King of Poland, he would not be averse to staying in Paris to keep watch over the crown of France? Exactly. Be it so. I ask nothing better than for him to remain, said Henry. Only that will change our entire plan. To leave without him I shall need three times the guarantees I should have asked for had I gone with your brother, whose name and presence in the enterprise would have been my safeguard. But what surprises me is that I have not heard from Monsieur de Moy. It is not like him to stay away so long. Have you had any news of him, madame? I, sire, exclaimed Marguerite in astonishment. Why, how could you expect— Why, by heaven, my dear, nothing would be more natural. In order to please me, you were kind enough to save the life of young La Mole. He must have reached Nantes, and if one can get to a place, he can easily get away from it. Ah, this explains an enigma, the answer to which I could not make out, said Marguerite. I had left my window open and found on coming back to my room a note on my floor. There now, said Henry, a note which at first I could not understand and to which I attached no importance whatsoever, continued Marguerite. Perhaps I was wrong and that it comes from that quarter? That is possible, said Henry. I might even say probable. Might I see this note? Certainly, sire, replied Marguerite, handing to the king the missive she had put into her pocket. The king glanced at it. Is it not Monsieur de la Mole's handwriting? said he. I do not know, replied Marguerite. It looks to me like a counterfeit. No matter. Let us read it. And he read. Madame, I must speak to the king of Nevada. The matter is urgent. I will wait. So, said Henry, you see, he says he will wait. Certainly I see that, said Marguerite. But what would you expect? Why, ventre saint gris, I expect that he is waiting. That he is waiting, cried Marguerite, looking at her husband in astonishment. How can you say such a thing, sire, a man whom the king tried to kill? A man who is watched, threatened, waiting, you say? Would that be possible? Are the doors made for those who have been obliged to escape by the window you were going to say yes you have finished my sentence well 
but if they know the way by the window let them take it since it is perfectly impossible for them to enter by the door it is very simple do you think so said marguerite flushing with pleasure at the thought of again being near la mole i am sure of it but how could one reach the window asked the queen did you not keep the rope ladder i sent you where is your usual foresight yes sire i kept it said marguerite in that case there will be no difficulty said henry what does your majesty wish why it is very simple said henry fasten it to your balcony and let it hang down if it is de moy who is waiting and he wants to mount it he will do so without losing his gravity henry took the candle to aid marguerite in her search for the ladder they did not have to look too long it was in a wardrobe in the famous closet there it is said henry now madame if i am not asking too much fasten it to the balcony i beg you why should i fasten it and not you sire because the best conspirators are the most careful seeing a man might perhaps frighten away our friend you see marguerite smiled and tied the ladder there said henry concealing himself in a corner of the room stand so he can see you now drop the ladder good i am sure that de moy will climb up in fact about ten minutes later a man mad with joy stepped over the balcony but seeing that the queen did not come to him he hesitated a moment instead of marguerite it was henry who stepped forward ah said he graciously it is not de moy but monsieur de la mole good evening monsieur de la mole come in i beg of you la mole paused a moment overwhelmed had he still been on the ladder instead of on the balcony he might possibly have fallen backward you wanted to speak to the king of navarre on matters of importance said marguerite i have told him so and here he is henry closed the window i love you said marguerite hastily pressing the young man's hand well monsieur said henry placing a chair for la mole what is it this sire replied la mole i have left monsieur de moy at the city gates he desires to know if maurevel has spoken and if his presence in your majesty's room is known not yet but it will be before long so we must make haste that is my opinion sire and if to-morrow evening monsieur d'alencon is ready to start de moy will be at the port saint michel with five hundred men these will take you to fontainebleau then you can easily reach blois angulema and bordeaux madame said henry turning to his wife i can be ready to-morrow can you la mole's eyes were anxiously fixed on those of marguerite you have my promise said the queen wherever you go i will follow but you know monsieur d'alencon must leave at the same time no halfway with him either he serves us or he betrays us if he hesitates we do not stir does he know anything of this plan monsieur de la mole asked henry he should have received a letter from monsieur de moy several days ago why said henry he said nothing to me about it be careful monsieur said marguerite be careful i shall be on my guard you may be sure how can we get an answer to de moy do not worry sire on the right on the left of your majesty visible or invisible he will be on hand to-morrow during the reception of the ambassadors one word in the address of the queen will suffice for him to understand whether you consent or not whether he must leave or wait for you 
If the Duc d'Alençon refuses, he asks but a fortnight to reorganize everything in your name. Really, said Henry, de Moy is invaluable. Can you insert the necessary words in your address, madame? Nothing will be easier, replied Marguerite. Then I will see Monsieur d'Alençon tomorrow, said Henry. Let de Moy be at his post, ready to understand at a word. He will be there, sire. And Monsieur de la Mole, said Henry, take my answer to him. You probably have a horse or a servant nearby. Orthon is waiting for me at the quay. Go back to him, monsieur. Oh, no, not by the window, which is good only for an emergency. You might be seen, and as it would not be known that you had taken this risk for me, it might compromise the queen. How shall I leave, sire? Although you may not be able to enter the Louvre by yourself, you can at least leave it with me, for I have the password. You have your cloak, I have mine. We will put them on and can pass the gate without difficulty. Besides, I shall be glad to give some special orders to Orthon. Wait here while I go, and see if there is anyone in the corridor. With the most natural air possible, Henry went out to investigate. La Mole was left alone with the queen. Ah, when shall I see you again? said he. Tomorrow evening, if we leave. Otherwise, some evening soon in the Rue Cloche-Percée. Monsieur de la Mole, said Henry, returning. You can come, there is no one here. La Mole bowed respectfully to the queen. Give him your hand to kiss, madame, said Henry. Monsieur de la Mole is no ordinary servitor. Marguerite obeyed. By the way, said Henry, be sure and keep the rope ladder. It is a valuable instrument for conspirators, and when we least expect it, we may need it. Come, Monsieur de la Mole. End of chapter 42 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.